All right. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures, and then we're going to go from there. The title of my message this morning is um, Promoted, sorry, Robbed for a Promotion. Not robbed of a promotion, but robbed for a promotion. And I think it'll become clear what I mean by that. Getting robbed for a promotion. I want to read Philippians chapter 2. This is describing the life of Christ. It says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, I just thank you so much for... um, this time together, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how you rule over our lives. And God, I just pray that you would help us, that you, your spirit would come and touch our hearts and open up our minds to understand you and to, to grow in faith, and that you would make me a true servant of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to make a noise for you. Are you excited yet? I'm going to make a noise for you, and I want you to think about whether or not you find this noise relaxing and pleasant. All right? So there's your disclaimer. Did you find that? You found it annoying? My my mom thinks it's annoying, so I'm not allowed to do that anymore. Um... (laughs) That was the sound of the fan in our hotel room where we were staying in Fargo. And um, we were there, we left Thursday, we came back yesterday. And we didn't know until the middle of the night because we were trying to run it to warm up, but the fan um, had a mind of its own and it made that noise every five minutes, whether it was turned on or turned off. Um, it, It did that every five minutes. So we didn't totally notice because we were trying to warm up the place. When we first got in there, it was like 60 degrees inside the room, and we just cranked the heat. And so if it cycles on and off, you just think, well, it's just running. But when we finally turned it off to go to bed, no matter what you did, there was not a button on that machine that would shut it up. They're just We tried. And so at 1.30 in the morning, um, after being woken up enough times to want to get out of bed again at 1.30 in the morning, I went and I was I was ready to, if I found any cord that looked like it was the power cord to this thing, I would have chewed through it, no matter what happened, like burned lips or trips to the ER. It was just time for that thing to stop making that noise. and uh, But I couldn't figure out a way to do it. And I was lo- actually looking underneath. It was like, because it was, it was really late. And I was just thinking, if I can see a power cord, I could cut it and then deal with the consequences with the guy at the front desk tomorrow. You know what I mean? And so, but it was totally like cased in armor. Why? Why? I was encased in armor and broken and running every five minutes. And so uh, we phoned the front desk. They said they would get a mechanic up there, but it, the noise was just unbearable. So um, Jackie went down and 
met this really nice guy who was actually, I think, a new believer and had just found out that his birth family lived in the state next over. So obviously they had a lot of time to chat while he was trying to figure out what to do. But out of this, we got um, a new room. And we got moved up a level in the hotel and into, I think, probably the nicest room in the hotel. With a, It was like our room, but bigger in every way. And where there used to be a wall, where there was a wall in our old room, there was actually another room with like chairs, a fireplace, and a big jacuzzi. So um, so as, as we thought about it the next day, um, and we're just talking about other things and having a time of prayer, I felt like God wanted me to encourage Jackie and just say, you know, you got robbed of a lot of sleep, but it was for the purpose of a promotion. She only, she only fell asleep at like four that morning. But out of it came a big promotion, a way better room. And so we just thought, this is, this is actually, apart from just what happened with the motel shenanigans, this is actually a big way that God works in the world, is people get robbed for a promotion. Not robbed of a promotion, but robbed for a promotion. Sometimes you do get robbed of a promotion. Has anybody felt like they've been robbed of a promotion before? Don't put up your hands. Okay, you can put up your hands if you want to. I, won't, I, won't, I can't actually stop you, so there you go. We're done. Um, there was a time at a, my previous employment, a big uh, company, where I was in a leadership training thing that they were building from the ground up. And Part of the agreement was that you had to try out for like every job that was an advancement from the one you were in at for interview skills, but also because they were training you. So you should be growing with the skills you need to do good at this job. And so I was. I was trying out for all these jobs and, and not getting any of them and just kind of feeling like, okay, what's, what's exactly the deal, the, the deal here? I, I have these great interviews and I get told afterwards I have these great interviews and um, not getting any offers on anything. Now, I'm sure that the fact that I was probably terribly unqualified for some of them was a factor or an excuse. How dare they? But um, eventually what happened was I never actually changed jobs at all at that company, but um, the pastor of this church felt like he was being called to become a principal elsewhere, and after a few months, God made it clear that I should say yes to something happening here. So I got robbed at my old job for the sake of a promotion somewhere else. And this is one of the ways that, that God works in our lives. We get robbed. We rob ourselves. It feels like God robs us for the sake of an advancement, for the sake of a promotion. Sometimes those promotions come um, actually in a workplace. I'm not, I'm not only thinking workplace, but sometimes that actually does happen. Um, sometimes it's spiritually. Sometimes you want something to change bat- really a lot and you start pursuing it and then everything falls apart for a while and then after a while everything's changed and better. You, you got robbed, your life fell apart, but it was for the sake of a promotion. Sometimes it's relationally as well. Or you have a relationship breakdown and it just doesn't get fixed. And But actually God does something really great out of it and and so I just wanted to walk us through some examples in Scripture where God works like this. And I have two purposes for doing it this morning. The first purpose is I want to stir up our memories. Because I think most of us, if we look back, we can look back at a hard time of our life where we really thought that God was blowing it. And then look back and see what God did and say, actually, there's a lot of stuff that's better. That wasn't what I was asking for, but better. 
So I want us to be able to turn to God and say, hey, wait, I never thanked you for that. Or I want to thank you again for that. Or, wow, you're pretty amazing because that was, that was not what I would ever have asked for, but it turned out better than I thought it was going to. So that's my one goal. My other goal is this. I think many of us are in that phase of feeling robbed in one way or another. And so I want to stir up your faith. This is how your, your Savior works. And so I want to, to turn us towards the Lord so that we can participate with the promotion in the midst of feeling robbed. Amen? So that, those are my goals. So some examples from Scripture of people being robbed for the sake of gaining a promotion. I think the most famous one is, in the Old Testament, would probably be Joseph. Last time I said Jacob and didn't correct myself for a few minutes and I really confused everybody. So we're talking about Joseph, right? That makes sense from what you know of the Bible. Okay, we're all in the same, we're all still in the bus. Nobody's flown out the windows. Okay, good. Then we can go on to the next stop. Um, Joseph, if you remember his story, he was one of the younger sons of Jacob and he was very capable, but he was also a favorite child. And in the midst of this, he had... uh, about a dozen older brothers, maybe 10 older brothers. In the midst of this, God started giving him dreams about promotion. He had two dreams, one where his um, brothers sheaves, they were out harvesting, and you know, as they would harvest, they would cut down the grass or the wheat or whatever, and they would bind them together in um, a bit of a tripod that could stand up as they wanted it to dry out before they whacked it and got the grain off or whatever. That's my understanding of Old Testament farming. Cut it, stand it dry it, whack it, eat it, something like that. And in the dream, all these sheaves that the brothers had put together started bowing down to Joseph's sheaf. And he shared this dream with them, and they all understood right away that this was some kind of idea of, of Joseph coming to preeminence amongst them. And they got really offended. Naturally, wouldn't you? If your younger brother doing better than you, no way, no chance, you know, pow, pow, I'll put you where you belong. Um, and then he had another dream where, that involved stars and moons and suns that involved his own mother and father actually coming and bowing down to him. And, and then they ended up being offended too when he shared this. So God had this plan for promotion. And, and I'm sure Joseph was like many of us, where we assume that if we're walking with God and believing God for his promises, it just means that every day is going to get better and better and better until paradise heaven on earth everything we've ever wanted is right at our fingertips and i don't just mean because you own a smartphone right we kind of assume if i'm walking with god i'm trusting him every day is just going to get better and better until all of god's promises are fulfilled in my life i I would think that joseph probably or could have had an idea like this i've got these promises from god i'm a pretty smart guy my dad's pretty rich and i'm going to be the boss when's this going to happen just Yes, can't wait, can't wait, can't wait. Well, his um, brothers were so kind of probably envious of the dreams and upset with the privilege he had in his house and um, decided to get rid of him. And they they were, they wanted, they first they just thought, let's kill the guy. But then they probably had a bit of a conscience check, like maybe we don't want that blood on our hands, so why don't we just sell him into slavery? which is exactly what happened. He got sold to a bunch of passing slave traders and taken on into Egypt, where he was first sold to Potiphar, where he did really well, and God was blessing him. But then Potiphar's wife um, noticed that he was a pretty 
studly looking young guy and tried to put the moves on him and he resisted and so she had him put in jail. And out of that jail, he became the prince of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. And then out of that position where he was in Egypt, um, God's purpose in the whole thing was he wanted to rescue the known world from a massive famine that was coming. That was his purpose. There's a famine coming. I want to rescue the world. And in the midst of this, I want to get my people into Egypt for a while. And so he sent Joseph ahead of his people through slave traders so that he would become the leader of Egypt and know that the famine was coming and do what was practically necessary to build food together. Crazy plan. But the end story of it was Joseph's brothers and his dad all coming and bowing down to him, just like in the dreams. Okay. Great story. Awesome movie. We should make a, we should make a musical, in fact, called Joseph and the Amazing Multifaceted Leisure Suit. I'm not sure. Something like that. You know, just, it would be great. We could get a guy named Andy to be a part of it, and uh, it could be on, like, Broadway or something. This is a brilliant idea. Maybe I should act on it. Um, Great story, happy ending. Can you imagine how robbed Joseph would have felt for all those years? And we know he did feel robbed because in that moment, remember his brothers are coming and he finally reveals himself to his brothers. The first question out of his mouth is, It is I, Joseph, is my father still alive? This has been the question on his soul for years. Is my dad still alive? He was old when I left him. I have no idea what he thinks happened to me. Is my father still alive? And so here's a man who for years has been carrying around this sense of robbed relationship and the injustice of it and the betrayal that your own brothers would sell you into slavery and then Potiphar's wife lying about you like... How many times does this guy have to get robbed? Robbed of peace, robbed of security, robbed of honor, robbed of privilege, robbed of relationship, robbed of love. Guys, robbed of love, robbed of love. It's almost unimaginable, actually. But this is God's way. He was robbed for the sake of getting promoted over Egypt so that he could rescue the world. I think of the story of King David, who was having a really great life as a young guy. He was an up-and-coming rock star. You know, he was putting in his time, noodling away on the lyre while he was watching over the sheep. You know, just like some guys nowadays, they just got the headphones on and they're strumming their electric twangers in their bedrooms. And I don't have time for dinner. I'm working on my my lead. I can't get the meadleys right. The finger tap. You know, they're working on it. Maybe it's just one person's kid doing that right now. But David had it pretty sweet. He was a shepherd. He could work on the meadleys. And he was getting his music career started. And and he was pretty athletic. So that whenever a lion or a bear came to try and steal one of the sheep, he would, when he fought back, he won. Whether he killed it or just chased it off like that's already quite an accomplishment but pretty sweet life you know just me and god and and just doing my thing and then some crazy guy shows up and pours a bunch of oil on his head and declares him the future king and it was pretty much downhill from there he was a wonderfully a victorious warrior but every time he succeeded in battle the current king saul got more and more threatened and insecure and jealous to the point where 
Um, this is one of the craziest stories in the Bible. King Saul wants David dead. And he thinks of this plan. I know. I'll offer that David can marry one of my daughters. Okay, you think that your family life is complicated. I, I'll offer that David can marry one of my daughters. And I'll say that if he wants to do it, he has to go and gather together 200 Philistine foreskins. Okay, so that's gross and no mental pictures needed. But the idea was he would go to battle and have to kill 200 of these guys and then perform um, one of those yeah, circumcision on them post-living post and then bring those things back. And then you know, after he'd done that, he gets to marry Saul's daughter. But the plan was that David would die doing it. That was the desire that David would die in the attempt to get these things. But he had the victory. And so he marries into this family where his father-in-law tried to kill him. Anybody here ever had a dream about having a, like, peaceful, peaceful things? Like getting married and it all being like white wedding dress and, and doves? And okay, add some severed body parts to that. Yeah, it's a mess. And David's life didn't get much better. He, he ended up having to flee. He was living in hiding. He was living in caves. Um, Saul's attempts to kill him were so nearly successful that he actually left Israel and was living with the Philistines for a while and like pretending to be their bodyguard. So that's how bad it got until Saul eventually was killed in battle and David became king. But then even that just led to civil war for a few years. And, and so here's David, young guy, doing his own thing, with his family, the sheep, twanging on the guitar, David said, God says, I'm going to make you the king. The only problem is it's going to cost you absolutely everything. Your security, your family, your name, your marriage. Well, marriage plans. What a mess. What a mess. And then, of course, the, the, the reason why I can say that this is a Christian lifestyle is because this was Jesus' lifestyle. This is what we were reading in Philippians. Jesus on his own, forever God, the Word of God, who is dwelling with the Father and the Holy Spirit, since forever, gave up just being God in his glory, worshipped by the angels, no problems whatsoever, became a human being, became a poor human being, became a little baby who was hunted by King Herod and had to flee to Egypt to escape being murdered and then lived as like a carpenter's son, um, had disciples who half the time thought he was crazy and the other half of the time thought he was just dangerous but still strangely attractive, so they followed him. Like, this doesn't seem normal or like we're going to survive this, but let's keep going. And his, his being robbed culminated on the cross where he was robbed of all honor, robbed of all peace, robbed of any health, robbed of any friendship as everybody abandoned him, robbed of being the king of Israel, robbed of his glory as God, just completely, absolutely every single thing that a human being could ever want or treasure or desire or fight for taken away for nothing. So that he could be exalted to the place above, to the highest place, given the name above every name. Amen? So this is, this is a, a Christian lifestyle. This is, this is our life. Promise, loss, God restoring better than we ever thought. Promise, loss, 
God restoring better than you ever thought. Our good plans meet God's real plans, meet what God wanted to produce all along. This is a regular Christian experience. Amen? The amens are going to be quiet because I don't know if this is what I signed up for. I, I heard this salvation thing sounded pretty awesome. Heaven is, sounds like a great plan, but uh, answered prayer also sounds good. But I don't know, know about this whole getting robbed for a promotion thing. It doesn't sound good. And so I get it. And the, the, the issue is this. Um, it's only suffering if you're suffering. Amen? That's the thing. Everyone's, yeah, I would love to suffer. Suffering for promotion sounds great. As long as it's that easy kind that doesn't hurt. Now, I, would, I would like to you know, walk up to the desk of life and just be like, I'll take an extra large portion of hurtless suffering with a lot, just cold hard cash on the side and a big bottle of feeling good. <laughs> Anybody tried to order that at the King's restaurant before? It doesn't work like that, right? It's only suffering if it hurts. It's only lost if you're losing. It's only robbed if you have less than you wanted to have. And so in the midst of that, we have our hearts to deal with. And so what I want to do here is I want to talk about, just for a second, like part of the way of saying yes to this process. We're all going to go through this process. You're either going to go through it or you have been through it or you're going to go through it again. This process of losing to gain, of going up means going down, you know, three steps forward, a hundred steps back, but all of a sudden I'm where God wanted me to be. We're all going to go through it. And so one of the big issues for us is, is um, learning how to really come to God in those times. That's one of the big things that makes the, this process difficult for us, especially as Canadians and um, as the kind of uh, Christians that Canadians can be. Okay, so let me just ask you a question. I'm just going to set the stage. You, you tell me, are Christians supposed to be happy or sad? You tell me. Happy, right? Well, some people are thinking about it, but are Christians supposed to be happy or sad? Okay, when you come to church and people start asking you how you're doing, are you, are you, maybe you're like me sometimes where you're just kind of like, there is no way I could describe it to you in the amount of time you're going to give me your attention for. There's just no way. There's no way. There's so much going on in my life, I don't even remember what happened yesterday morning because there's so much new stuff to deal with. So, but we, good, you know, we get the Sunday goods on. How you doing? Great. It looks like you have an open wound on your forehead. Really? <laughs> Didn't notice. Just don't mind if I just wipe that pussy stuff out of there. Doing good. You know, and we can do that because we know we're supposed to be happy because we believe in God. So we're supposed to be happy. And, um, and it, it is true that walking with Jesus there is a supernatural joy to be accessed. Amen. Our joy isn't just about chemicals in our brain. Our joy isn't just about looking at our circumstances and deciding we're doing good. Our joy actually comes from the Holy Spirit of God that God has put into our hearts by faith. But in the midst of that, we have real lives and God knows that we do and he wants to walk through us through stuff. So one of the great gifts of, of God to us is the book of Psalms where King David many of these psalms coming out of these hard times of his life that I talked to you about would connect with God in his poetry by the Holy Spirit. God actually helped him write these psalms and then they were given to the church, given to Israel, given to Christians in order to help relate to God. 
And so I just want to read Psalm 22. And I want you to do two things. I want you to think about how David is really just talking to God. And I also want you to think about, ask yourself the question, have I ever talked to God like this or would I ever be able to talk to God like this? Okay? Psalm 22.1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groanings? Oh my God, I cry by day and you do not answer and by night, but I find no rest. You ever talk to God like that? God, you're my God. Why have you totally abandoned me here? You ever felt free to just unload on him like that? Look, you're my God. I am crying out to you with real tears. I go to bed and I just moan and groan in agony and I have no peace and nothing's changing. That's the Bible. And I know it's okay to talk to God like this because this is the psalm that Jesus was quoting on the cross as he was hanging, literally being rejected. We can only, as Christians, feel like we're being forsaken by God because God has taken us and adopted us and he's watching over every area of life. But Jesus on the cross was literally getting rejected by God in our place. As our sins were getting put on him, as the rejection we deserve, he was getting rejected for. As the suffering we deserve, he was suffering. He was literally getting rejected on the cross. And he is quoting this psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so if it's okay for Jesus to talk like that to God, then surely we too can take the words of the Psalms on our mouths or in our hearts and come to God and say, I am so frustrated with how I have been abandoned in this situation. I am getting robbed here and I hate it. And it feels like you're doing nothing. Isn't that what he's saying here? I pray, you don't answer. I hurt, you don't care. I groan, nothing changes. God! And what I'm saying is that this is part of getting from robbed to promotion. is to be able to come to God with what's really going on and saying, look, you're my God. Like, that's the part. Where's the phase in this? It's like, if I did this, it would feel like I was complaining. Well, as long as you're complaining to your God, it's faith. As long as you're up in his grill... You're, you're, you're coming to him because like, you're my God. You're supposed to be taking care of me. You're supposed to be fulfilling your promises. You're supposed to be, I'm like, I've given my life to you. What are you doing with it? As long as it's your God you're going to, then complain away. And if God comes back and says, I don't really know if you should be complaining about this, then you listen to him. But for many of us, our problem is actually that we, we hurt and we, we retreat. We groan, but we pretend. We, we feel forsaken, but we never admit it to God. That's, that's where most of our trouble is. And I think that this can actually postpone or sabotage coming into the promotion God wants us to come through because we don't actually get to him. Now, I'm really grateful for someone coming up and sharing about how the process is taking way longer to freedom than she thought. Because God is the issue. God wants to be the issue. He makes himself the issue first. I can fix everything, but, but let's work on us. Amen? And so David goes on from there, and he says, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. There's that key word. 
To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. So he's admitting, I know you're faithful rescuer and you can do it, God. But he says, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make their mouths, they make mouths at me. They wag their heads. They mock him by saying, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. He said, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you from my mother's breast. On you I was cast by my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Can you hear how he just blends together, I trust you, and everything's going wrong and it looks like you've forsaken me? He just mixes them one together, line after line, stanza after stanza. I trust you, you're trustworthy, you're totally blowing it. Other people have trusted you and been rescued. It totally doesn't look like you're going to do it for me. I have no reason to continue to trust you, but I'm going to keep doing it, but it really feels like you're failing me. Do you see how he mixes those things together in a way that we might not be used to? And what I'm saying to us this morning is that this psalm was written by King David in between the promise and the promotion. It was written during the robbing time. And what I'm saying is that this psalm was quoted by Jesus in between the promise and the promotion. It was quoted during the robbing time. And so what I'm calling us to, if you need it, is to learn how to get realer with God and to break free of this kind of fake religious, when I come to church, I'm fine, and when I go to pray, I'm fine, and just... If, it, if it's in the Psalms, you can say it to God. This is like training. Okay, you're hurting? This is what you say to me when you're hurting. You say, God, why have you forsaken me? When you're groaning with agony, this is what you say to me. You say, I'm groaning all the time. Why are you so far away? When you just cannot get peace in your mind, this is what you say. You say, I cry out by day and you don't answer by night and I have no rest. He's training us actually to unburden our souls towards him in faith. And, and this is actually amazing. Um, I, I want you to think about what kind of deep relationship God wants to have with you. Amen. What kind of deep relationship He wants to have with you if He, if he works our life so that there's going to be trouble before comes the breakthrough? And in the midst, he says, tell me all about it. There's nothing you can say that can hurt me. You can't ruin my day. The only thing that bugs me is when you don't come. Or you come and complain in a way that is, is you running away while you're complaining instead of coming in your face. Um, if you've ever been married or are married, you know that the closeness of that covenant gives you permission to complain about that other person in a way you wouldn't do to somebody else. Amen? Is it just my experience? Sometimes it's kind of like, if you're married and you're together and the garbage isn't out yet, you hear about that right away. Even like a boss at a, at a business would be sometimes a little bit more gentle or just let things slide than when you're in a super close relationship. And that's true with God. When you're super close with Him, you, you, you're just yourself. 
God can't change a fake you. He can only change the real you. And me too. And I need it too. you take a second and think about a time where you suffered loss and God brought something really good out of it. Can you do that? And maybe you don't see it. If you've never seen it, you can ask Jesus to open your eyes to it. He's really gracious. And if you're in that place where you're like, I can't see it right now, then guess what? You're probably in the Rob stage if you can't see anything yet. And so let me give you some some direction. If you turn to Jesus, give him who you are. Tell him how you're really doing. He'll receive you. and He'll bring you to the place of the promotion he's working for. Could be a spiritual promotion. Could be a financial promotion. Could be a relational promotion. These are God's calls, right? He knows what we need. So often, he's waiting and saying, when are we going to get real? And he's so loving that he doesn't want to phone it in with us. There's a difference between a text message and an email and FaceTime and a phone call and being in the same room together, isn't there? You know what I'm talking about? Is there a difference between a text and an email and a phone call and a FaceTime and being in the room together? What one does God want for you? I want you to say it. What does God want for you? He wants to be there. He sent his son to the cross so that we could be together. He sent his spirit to live in us so that we're closer than any two human beings can ever get. And he's going to take us through hard times where we feel robbed so he can bring us into the promotion he wants to give us. And in the meantime, he wants us to be with him and him with us. That's actually very loving. It's actually profoundly loving. Amen? So I'm going to pray. If you want to stand up, Corinne's going to play for us. And I just encourage you to meet with God. If you don't want to sing the words, you don't have to sing the words. But just meet with God during this time. Father, I just thank you for the truth that uh, sometimes we get robbed. Sometimes you may even take things away from us that we don't like. And your intention in, in it is to take us someplace we would never go without you taking us there. And so, Father, I pray that you would connect with, with each one of us by grace through Jesus. And that you would help us just to surrender our hearts and let you in. You really love us. God, sometimes that seems like the last thing I could ever believe, that you could really love us as much as you do, but you really love us. And I'm so thankful.